This morning is our second in the series of breakthrough on um, the, uh, from the Gospel of Luke. This morning we're talking about one of the parables of Jesus to the followers and his disciples. From Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. If you want to open your Bibles and keep them open there, Luke is in the uh, latter third of the scriptures in the New Testament. It's the third gospel, right before John. Let's read God's word together. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. A very familiar phrase that still gets used often in our culture today. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, most, if not all of us in this room, are American citizens. Uh, and again, I want to affirm that I am an American citizen and I am a patriot of this country. Um, I love the United States of America. I love so much of what this country stands for and things that are our um, values that we hold. There are certainly challenges that we face, but I do have a great love of country. So take this um, uh, little thinking for the next couple moments with that idea that there is great love. Uh, I want to talk for a moment about the Bill of Rights that we have in this country. Now, a little quiz. I did a little quiz around the office this uh, past week about the Bill of Rights. I asked quickly, and don't anyone say it, okay? Keep it to yourself. Keep it in your brain. I asked the question of the staff, or those who were in the office at the time, how many amendments to the Bill of Rights there are, and I asked four staff people, with three being miserably wrong, and one who was over the age of, we'll say, 50, getting it right. My question of you this morning is, how many amendments are there to the Bill of Rights? Again, don't say the answer out loud, please. How many of you think there is five or less? Five or fewer, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many of you think that there is 15 or greater? Is that right? Is that okay? 
15 or greater. 14? 13? 12? 11? 10? Oh, praise God that there is at least some of you here. Ten amendments to the Bill of Rights. And by the way, I'm a Canadian citizen and I knew that. Just so we all know. There are ten amendments to the Bill of Rights. And if you know the Bill of Rights or anything about it, you know it was established so that the government would have a, 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 a document by which they could govern the rights of its citizens and certain inalienable rights that have to be protected even from the government itself. Lord willing, we all know that the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights has everything to do with free speech, the expression of religion, among other things. That there are other amendments to the Bill of Rights. The Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. There are others. Some of them are a little bit unusual. I can't remember which amendment it is that guards the right from a family hosting a soldier in their home when it is not a time of war. I don't know if you remember if that's fourth or sixth or something like that. There's, there's a lot of different things in there. And it's a beautiful thing that we have in this country, the Bill of Rights. There are countries and people in countries all over the world who would love to have that sort of freedom guarded by the government, that those rights could not be taken away. It is a huge blessing and has shaped and formed us in so many great ways over the history of our country that it's certainly something that we can give God praise for and feel blessed by. But there's a danger within the whole Bill of Rights that I think it's not political. It's spiritual. The spiritual side of us, this, the part of us that longs to know Jesus and God more, looks at the Bill of Rights that says, you have rights that need to be protected. We see that, we hear that, and it shapes and forms us in some ways that are not helpful, always, in our walk with Jesus. Because when we guard and stand firm and seek strength to protect our rights, and we include that in our walk with God and our rights before God, we can get ourselves into dangerous territory. And in our text this morning, we hear... Jesus tell a story, a parable. A parable is simply an illustrative message to his people. We hear him tell a story that challenges the idea of the rights that an individual has to determine their own future and how they see that in relationship with God. Now, as we think about this parable this morning, we need to understand the context. Jesus, during his ministry, especially in Galilee, where he was from, was surrounded by 
Hundreds, if not thousands of people at various times. And we can certainly imagine that there were many questions thrown out at him, even as he was walking from town to town or just reclining with his disciples. Someone from a distance might, might yell out something to Jesus and, and ask him for his judgment or his thoughts on a particular issue. And that's what's going on here. He's probably either walking along or reclining somewhere and somebody just throws out a statement. Or throws out a a request of Jesus. Help me get what is mine. Help me get this inheritance that my brother has from my family. Help me get what is, what would we say, rightfully mine. And Jesus then goes on to tell this parable of this man who is certainly a man of greed. Certainly the rich fool commits the sin of greed, but there's much more to it than that. It's not just greed that is his issue. It's more fundamental. Now, again, read at the beginning of the parable itself. What does it say in verse 16? It says, the ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, if we think of God as God, who God truly is, we understand that God gave this man a blessing. The ground yielded this. Well, who's in charge of crops, rain? Who's in charge of creating a a world that sustains itself through seeds planted that grow and a real harvest? It's God himself. So God has been active in this man's life, giving him a blessing. But the rich fool has received that blessing, and he messed it up. Look at the pronouns used in verses 17 through 19. The rich fool says these things. He thought to himself, then he goes on, what shall I do? do. I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will, I will store my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. A whole bunch of first-person singular pronouns. This person is focused on I and me and his wants, his needs, his agenda, his desires. And he doesn't care what God wants. God has given him blessing. And now in response to receiving that blessing, he's turned it all inward. This is mine. I've worked hard for it. And now I get to experience my reward. Now, we live in a world, in a country, in a time where greed and materialism they certainly are attractive to us as well. We know that. I was at the car wash yesterday uh, just for a couple of minutes. Um, I actually was getting someone else's car wash, not mine, but I, I was getting at the car wash and it was just remarkable to me. The BMWs, the Mercedes, the SUVs that glow with their 24-inch rims, shiny, beautiful things. How much we put and invest into the materialism of our world. But greed 
actually falls into a category of sin that is much broader, and because it's much broader, it's much more dangerous. And it's really the sin of the rich fool, and that's the sin of self-determination. In essence, because the rich fool is claiming the ground that he gets to decide what goes on in his life and what his future holds, that he commits the sin that God demands retribution for. And us, in our own lives, can live in that place. We have our calendars. How many of you have one of those kitchen calendars in your home that's filled with all the pencil marks of schedules for the week? Anyone? We have one of those. We figure out our schedule. We look at our bills, our finances. We map out a trajectory for our career, our vocation, our children, our parents, our families. We get into very much this self-determined world where we're consumed with what we want and how we want it done. We want to do what we want to do, and no one can tell us any different. And certainly in Christian, the Christian world, in the life of the church, we can say, oh, we depend on God. We trust that God will show us the ways that he has for us. But think about it. Do you live into that world of God dependence every day? Do you even, do I even sometimes think, what is it that God wants from me today? What is his plan? What is his agenda? What is his calling on my bank account, my time, my energy, my talents, my marriage, my children, my vocation? Certainly we can give tacit approval to that idea that God is in control. But do we give active approval to it? Do we live into that sort of dependence? There is a huge barrier for many. This, this is a huge barrier. The self-determination barrier is a huge barrier for many because it denies God what is his. And that is our love. What is the greatest commandment? That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our minds, with all our time, with all our resources, with all our plans, with all our future, with all our agendas, with all our focus, with all our effort, with all our energy, with all our children, with all our marriages, with all our families, with all our business, that we love the Lord our God with all of it, and it becomes a consuming focus of our lives to say, what is it, God, that you want me to do today for your glory and to see your kingdom grow. And if God demands it, as it says in the text, that we are willing to give it. But we've got a protection phrase. And it's a really good one. It's, yeah, but. And I'm always fearful now when I use the word but in a sermon because of the famous sermon that I said about eight months ago that I ended up saying some things that I didn't want to say, but I'm going to... Delve into that territory again today, and hopefully I don't mess it up. 
in our world, we can hear God speaking into our lives. We can hear God saying something like, there is a person in your life who would be blessed with $500. Maybe that, it's that particular. Maybe that's, it's that specific. And we say, yeah, but I got to get groceries. I have to do this. We're saving for that. We've got some bills coming up. We can hear God say to us, your neighbor across the street needs to know the love of Jesus Christ and I am calling you into a relationship, a difficult, challenging, messy, bloody relationship with them and our response is, yeah, but. They drink. They say things that I don't like. Their lifestyle doesn't reflect the sort of lifestyle that I want to be around. I can't do that. We can hear God say to us, your vocation is a gift that I have given you. And now give it up to follow me into this new calling that I have for you. This new place of work where my kingdom will flourish because of the gifts that I have prepared for you and the other work that you have done. And we can say, yeah, but, yeah, but I got to support a family. I have children who need me. We, we can hear the request from up here at times. Here's something that we're calling out to you saying we need this. We need people in children's ministry. We need youth group leaders. We need people to step up as office bearers. We need people who are willing to be a part of Lagonia, Hands of Mercy, MCCA, whatever it is. And we say, yeah, but my schedule is full. I cannot come to the banquet. Don't trouble me. Leave me alone. I've got commitments to take care of. Don't mess with my life, God, because it's my life. See the danger? And see how we all can get caught up in it? And the question is, how do we experience the breakthrough of God into our lives? Well, we notice in verse 20 of the text what God demands of the fool. You'll notice there, he doesn't demand of him his wealth or crops or any material thing. Frankly, God doesn't need those things. God has the biggest bank account that could ever be known. He's got storehouses full to abundance of more than could ever be imagined. He doesn't need those things. But his calling is on a life Give me your life. Give me all that you are and all that you do. And it is what he demands of the rich fool. You, you wanted the material stuff, but I wanted you. And now because it is mine to take, I take it from you. And you don't have a choice. You could have given it to me willingly. But now I take it without you determining how that's going to happen because I am God. 
And of course, the trouble for us is, is that how, how do we think about that? I mean, ultimately, God makes the calling on all of our lives. It's his to take it from us. Think about it. I don't know how many of you watched the September 11th memorial television programs or looked at videos. I heard a powerful statement from a person in one of those videos. He said, I woke up this morning, today, and went to work believing I was going to come home. And so did every single person on the morning of September 11th. And their lives were gone. It's that sort of world that we live in. So we can give our lives to God unwillingly or we can give it to God gratefully for what he's done for us in Christ. Give back to him what is already his and something that he asks of us. And he promises as we do that that he will care for us. Here, verse 21 of the text says this, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. In many ways, it echoes Matthew 6, verse 33, and actually a mirror text that is later on in Luke itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about you maintaining a life. Don't worry about sustaining a life. I've got you. I've given you life. I will take life when it is according to my will. I ask that the life that I have given and the life that I will take, you give back to me what is mine. And if you do, I will care for you always. Do not be self-determined. Be me-determined, God says. Follow me. Go where I call you to go. Don't worry about your rights. I'm the one who holds them. I've got you. And if we do that, the reward is greater than ever be imagined. A huge breakthrough for many of us is to allow Christ's calling to determine all of our lives, our finances, our businesses, our families, our schedule. Have we even prayed the prayer? Lord, you have given me these children. What is it that you ask of me that I might commit them and give them unto you? What is it that you call of me for my work, my business? How is it that you want to use my finances, my talents, my marriage, my home, my car, my everything to grow your kingdom so that you might see your glory grow on the earth? And because, Lord, I seek to be faithful in that, you will take care of all of my needs because you are faithful to your promises and you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. 
and you will never let me go. Have we prayed that prayer with every facet of our lives in all we do? When we allow the Spirit to govern our every thought and pursue God's will for us, rather than our own, we will break through to a new place of hope, trust, faith, and dependence. That's the prayer that Jesus himself prayed on the night that he was getting ready to give us the great gift of hope through his own death. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I've had a couple conversations lately that have been really interesting. One with a friend out of uh, this area, one with a friend local. Both moms. These are moms who have gone through with their own children challenges and trial. They're moms who have faced, as many moms know those nights, nights of sleeplessness out of fear for your children. Many nights of questions and doubts of hurt and pain because of the pain of your children. And what's remarkable to me is how both of these moms have walked through the challenge of being a mom to children who have to deal with life. There's one mom, very close friend of ours. She has that little book that um, was written. I don't even know who wrote it, but it's called The Power of a Praying Mother. She has it on her bedstand. And every night, her children are adults. They're just two boys, and they're now out of the home. Every night, since she has done since the day of their birth, she has flipped to another page in that book. Its edges are dog-eared. Its pages are worn. Its spine is broken in so many places because of how much she's used it. And she prays this prayer. She says, she said this to us because we were talking to her about it actually just less than a week ago. She, was, she said, I pray. I start my prayer to God saying, you know what I want for my boys. You know the plans and the hopes and the dreams that I have for them. But Lord God, they have to be yours. They need to be your dreams. They need to be your plans. And take my plans and my dreams for my children from me if they come in the way of yours. And then she prays a prayer on that page into the lives of her sons. A second mom, whom I have sat with many, many times because of the challenge that she deals with with her children. And she has spoken to me in the last number of weeks a number of times saying these words, God has done a work in me. I don't pray anymore that God protects my kids. I'm not praying anymore that God fixes my kids. I pray that God makes himself known to my kids. Because I want my kids to know him more than they're safe. I want my kids to know him more than they're 
perfect or ideal or do all the right things. I want them to know the love of Jesus, know the love of God more than anything. When I hear these moms speak of their kids, that's dependence. That's giving up a right to determine the trajectory and the plans and the future of their kids. It's saying, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. As you respond to God's word this week, there's a couple little things that you could do to go deeper. There's a passage there from the text we've looked at this morning to memorize. It's a reminder that what you build up in this world materially matters little. But what you build up before the kingdom of God matters much. The second question is, or actually it's a statement. Ask this question of someone that you trust. Someone that you can have a conversation with. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's in a small group or whatever. Ask this question. What is one place in my life where I'm not willing to give up control to God? My guess is that we all have it. Maybe it's in your relationship with your spouse. I, I don't want him. I don't want her to mess up. So I'm going to, I'm going to nag I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge. I'm going to ask so many questions to guide them in the right way. Uh, I'm going to try to control this. Instead of us saying, my marriage and my spouse or yours, oh Lord, do your will, not mine. Maybe it's in your vocation, your business. Maybe it's in your finances. You felt the calling to give generously to something, somewhere, someone. And you've held on because you're fearful that God won't provide. Take the risk. Take the step. step. Be a person of faith and God dependence. And as you think about this this week, you have my email address. I would love to interact with you around questions of God dependence because I think that God dependence is such an important breakthrough for so many because it speaks to that greatest commandment. It calls us into loving the Lord with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and if it's the greatest commandment and we grow more in living into it, what power might that have in all of our lives? Let's pray together to that end. Living God, we, we want to say we trust you. We want to say that we believe in you. We want to say that we we know you'll take care of us. But we also know, Lord, that there are places, spaces, and times when we don't live that out. Where we hold on, where our knuckles are white with hanging on to our own lives instead of us releasing it into your hands. We say in our own way, let's build bigger barns. Let's care for ourselves. Let's take care of number one. Us, me, I. 
Instead of asking the question, what is it, Lord, that you want from me? Not my will, but your will be done. Father, show us today where our hearts need to be broken through. The rooms, the spaces, the habits, the thoughts, the ideas, the plans, the agendas, Lord, need to be broken through by your Spirit so that we might be able to truly say, today we love God more. Today we trust God more. Today we know Jesus watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of our Father in heaven. Today we will live in faith. Father, may you do that breakthrough in us. And may you be glorified in it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.